Warning. Censorship. Warning. Censorship. Breaking news. Our first fightthefines.com.au challenge has won. Have you seen Donald Trump? Do you think he should step in? Donald Trump, don't trust China. China is asshole. Should we believe anything the CCP, anything the Chinese government is telling us about coronavirus? <laughs> it is very such crass as such answer. As I mentioned, that don't trust China. China is asshole. All the people is asshole. What gives anyone the right to tell anyone where they can and can't live? When you import this culture, what do you think is going to happen? Australia's going to end up the same shithole that they came from that they were escaping. Watch how Jim Jeffries has edited this last clip to make me look like an ass. See what I really said. What gives anyone the right to tell anyone where they can and can't live? Really? Like, um, like, borders? I know, like, yeah. borders, yeah. but wouldn't it just be nice if if we got to a place in society where we, we had no well, this a is... utopia where we all just lived as... I, I... Well, I think if they go in jail, there must be some reason. Well, you don't think that the communist government is a little bit dodgy? No. 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 Really? The, the, the white South Africans now that are about 30 years old stole land? No, but the, that's the history of the place. That's the history so they of deserve, South Africa. they deserve what? A genocide? Can you sign our South African, white South African, we want to bring in the refugees from South Africa? Are you happy? I would prefer if the Rohingya came here first. Why is that? Is that because they're brown? Avi Yemeni is an Australian-Israeli reporter. He's known for his work with TR News as an independent YouTuber, and of course for his work with Rebel News in Australia on fightthefines.com.au. You can find him on Twitter at Israeli Avi, Instagram, Israeli Avi Yemeni, and he has nearly half a million subscribers on YouTube. And while we're here, if you want to go to the rebelnewsstore.com, you can use Andrew10 for a discount on all our new merch, including this great toque we have here. Avi, how are you? Where are you? Good day, mate. How you doing? <laughs> Starting with the accent already, you're gonna you're gonna crack me up. <laughs> are you at home in Australia? Where are you? Yeah, I'm at home at the moment. It's uh, nine o'clock in the morning. I'm having my morning coffee, Thanks. getting ready to head to the gym in my gym wear. Oh, we can't do that here. You're a lucky man. So I like to start these off by mentioning how I first came across the guest. Like so many people, I remember you from your YouTube channel and your work on TR News. My question to you is, what was the moment where you started uh, deciding to do more journalism, more YouTube videos? I mean, I think you started with, what, self-defense videos online? How did you make the jump to, to journalism, so to speak? Well, it wasn't self-defense videos online. I actually owned two 24-hour uh, uh, fighting gyms in Melbourne. Um, after the when I finished my service in the Israeli army and I guess I kind of fell into it There was a, a period where uh, Israel had gone into Gaza in one of these operations And I remember just watching the mainstream media reporting on it here our ABC the Australian broadcasting um, news service and I was watching it angrily and seeing how they were Telling one side of the story and it certainly wasn't a side of democracy and freedom Um and so I just at the time we had a quite a large Facebook presence and I just started from our business, which was IDF training because it was Israeli army style self-defense. It was Krav Maga. And mm -hmm. I remember I started posting, you know, my thoughts on the situation on the ground as somebody who served uh, for a number of years there in that exact location. And, you know, it, caused a little bit of controversy. I think some people did boycott our gym, not that I cared because at the end of the day, I thought, well, you're coming to an IDF training gym to learn Israeli Krav Maga. If you don't stand with Israel, then I don't really, I don't even know why you're here. It's the principles of Israeli self-defense, which is applied in the Israeli army. It's the exact same thing. So the fight that you're learning here, and this is how I justified it to myself and others that uh, tried to give me any kind of uh, advice on what I should should or shouldn't be doing. But after that um, that whole situation ended, it, it sparked a lot of conversation and uh, I guess I found a voice and I did start posting my political opinions on 
different situations or reporting different um, things. And, and I got, I guess, constructive criticism from people who I don't even know if they aligned with my views at the time, but they just said, we love your gym. I don't know if you should use uh, your platform here where you have two good, successful gyms um, to to push you. Maybe you should. And that's when I opened an Avia Mini Facebook page at the time and I started yeah, making videos. And uh, what is it now? It's probably six years later, seven years later. Um, I sold those gyms a couple of years ago and it's my full-time gig, first at TR and uh, now – uh, at my home at Rebel News right here with you. <laughs> what was the first video you had that was completely politics that blew up? Do you remember? Oh. The first one that blew up, probably from memory, and oh, I don't know, I don't have the best memory on these situations. It may... Unprofessional, Abby. Is, uh, they're trying to interrupt us with the uh, the group meeting. Um, the one, the first one that blew up from memory. My memory is not that great, so I, if I remember correctly, it pro it possibly was the um, besides for rant. I did a lot of rants at the time to Facebook Live. That's when Facebook was kind of okay, and it didn't they didn't censor everyone. But when I did, my first proper report was, I think at a um, I went to one of these uh, pro-refugee rallies and I decided to ask them um, if they would sign my petition to allow the white, the, the re well, I framed it, the refugees from South Africa, which mm, were I remember this. the white farmers. And, um, yeah, I, I guess that was probably the first one that really blew up from memory. Well, the one that uh, the I wanted to... And, and, Go ahead. Yeah. The one that I wanted to comment um, and ask you about is the one that was it Trump Jr. or who, who retweeted the China is asshole guy? Because that's one that went that crossed political lines. Oh uh, yeah, I think that one was that 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 was what um, that was the face of 2020, or at least for the first half of 2020, um, especially after the Wuhan virus. Uh, that one that one did get a. So that was actually that was one that was one of the first times I worked with Rebel News um, in Hong Kong. So I was working for TR, and uh, uh, Ezra contacted me to see if I would go over to Hong Kong and work, you know, TR alongside Rebel together. And that moment, you know, I reflect on it now um, because at the time when we were filming it, like I didn't think much of it. It was just a passionate guy speaking his mind. And um, I think it even took a month after it was, it was just part of one of the stories we did on the ground during the um, Hong Kong protests. And suddenly it was picked up by everyone. When you're in Hong Kong, like, like I'm, I'm guessing you're not a guy who walks down the street and has, has, fear of being beaten up in Australia or in the UK or whatever. When you're in Hong Kong, is there a different feeling? Like, you know, they're like mainland China doesn't want this place to even, they don't want them to have their own government, their own, their own electoral system. They don't want them to have their own freedom. What's the feeling like when you're in Hong Kong and especially a person that people know of and they might be coming after, were you worried you're going to get kidnapped? What's the, the feeling like while you're doing journalism in Hong Kong protests? I think now it's very different now because of the new security law. Um, you know, I've had conversations with Ezra saying, I would, I just want to go back. I want to go back to Hong Kong. Um, and obviously taking, making that going, heading to Hong Kong now, um, comes with that risk of being shipped back to mainland China in breach of that security risk. So, um, we might have to sit on it and think of it. Um, but back when I went, um, I, and I, I went a couple of times, well, the first time I just I went there as somebody that no one in Hong Kong really knew, just another Western reporter, um, what I found is that when you're, uh, when you're there, and, and I think that time maybe Ken was there too at the 
time or that was the second time can't remember but when you when you walk around it was just things were normal unless you um headed to the actual protest and you kind of followed them around it was it was bizarre because there were pockets of protests that were always moving and the rest of the city was kind of functioning around that and it's a city that you know it goes for uh, into the night almost it's almost 24 7 then the second time it, you'd seen a shift towards where we are now, where the protest was more ingrained and everywhere, um, and it was also very different for me personally because when I went there, I was already known by Hong Kongers as that Australian that challenged mainlanders in Australia, and some of the videos that I did for TR at the time um, actually were far more popular in Asia, in Taiwan, Hong Kong. Uh, and places like that. Um, so you walk down the street and and you kind of, you know, you feel the sense of appreciation and love by Hong Kongers that we're doing that work. Um, but now I couldn't tell you, I really miss Hong Kong. Hong Kong's a fantastic place. It's uh, the people are really nice. They have that gentle, respectful Asian culture, but then they also ha bring that western way of thinking and democracy and love for freedom and they you know it's very sad to to look now and see that um really coronavirus has i think cost the hong kongers this part of the fight because the rest of the world you know the world if you remember before coronavirus mm. the world was really focused on what was happening on the ground in hong kong yeah suddenly coronavirus stuff we're talking about it like it was a it was everywhere. Everyone was talking about it, and from the left and the right, it wasn't. It, it was a. Uh, it wasn't a partisan issue. It was everybody cared, and it was. It was the one issue that everybody was siding with the Hong Kongers. And since then, you know, uh, coronavirus and the election, and we're here today, and uh, people care more about. Um, you know, you said mean things to me rather than the arbitrary jailing of uh, freedom-loving people on the front line in the fight against communist China. It's a really bizarre time we live in, but I guess that's why we're here. For sure, and I, I can only imagine what it would be like there now. When I talk about China versus Hong Kong, I'm reminded of another video of yours where you're interviewing some young uh, Chinese nationals. I think they're on vacation or they're there for school. And that really, that really got me thinking a lot about some stuff. I had just recently watched a documentary on Maoism and how that all happened in China. And I couldn't help but think that a lot of these people that you spoke to, a lot of these kids, they sound a lot like American social justice warriors. And I can't help but think or, or wonder, and what I'm going to ask you is, is China's dictatorship more an influence of the government on its people? Or do you think it's possible that they developed a country full of social justice warriors that basically is almost where America is now, where they believe these, these facets of their culture so much and they believe in maybe their fake issues, maybe their, their fake um, virtues that they're believing in? They believed it so much that they decided to vote in the people that, that agree with them. And, and these are people that don't particularly pay attention to politics. They don't care if there's censorship. They don't care if the government's reading everything they're saying. They just want to have TikTok and they want to have uh, a video platform. In, in your opinion, what is it that makes people in China so complicit with their government? Because they must there must be some degree to that they know that the rest of the world sees them as kind of strange, or do they? Um, I think it's a mix of different things. And also, you've got to remember, China is 1.4 billion people. Um, the ones that come here uh, for school or for holiday, they're not the majority. They're in the minority, and they're pretty well set up in China, and most of them would have uh, some sort of connection to the communist government um, there, whether they work for them, whether they just got closed business ties, whatever it is. So I don't think the people that I talk to here are a reflection of the majority in mainland China. Um, I do think that there's a mix of what you're saying. There are some that uh, – there's a, probably a lot, especially within that class, 
that believe they're standing for what's right. They're nationalists. They believe in their country. They believe in their government as well. They believe in censorship. They believe, they, they truly believe in it. Um, so that's their version of what you'd say, like the social justice warriors we have here. Um, but I think that in China, it, the, the difference is, um, and, and what I found is that you can't actually have a rational conversation with especially those groups because they don't believe anything else outside of China. They've been brainwashed in China uh, for their entire lives. Now, the ones, again, that, that we see here, they have pretty comfortable lives, so why would they question it? They have a comfortable life. Um, they And then on top of that, they've been fed these different narratives, which are nationalistic uh, uh, Chinese, Han Chinese, so they are a very uh, uh, r racist group. They don't like minorities. Just ask any of the Uyghurs in China. But So they have their uh, views that, that, that have been built from childhood, from the fact that all their um, mainstream, all their news, all all their media, all the content that they consume feeds this, this narrative. It supports a narrative. And if it doesn't, it's banned. So they don't really get to see opposing views. And um, they all have, you know, w when I talk to those ones that you're talking about and I ask them a simple question going, okay, which one of the five demands from the Hong Kongers, the Hong Kong protest movement, do you are you against? What don't you agree with? What don't you want to give them? And none of them could answer that because they weren't being fed that. They they were being fed one line on in China, which in mainland China, which was that that Hong Kong protest movement was about uh, independence. And the truth is, especially at that time. It had nothing to do with independence. The independence was a very fringe minority that were asking for independence. The five demands were nothing about independence. In fact, I would say, anecdotally, from speaking to Hong Kongers on the ground, they didn't want really independence from China. They enjoyed having a big brother. They they identified as free Chinese. They, they're Chinese. They look Chinese. They eat Chinese food. But they just had uh, Western democracy, uh, democratic values. But they wanted that big brother. Now I think it may have changed since uh, since then, and 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 you can't blame them because I think a lot of people realise that the only way out of you know what's going on there now is through democracy, uh, through independence. It's hard. It's hard to say where it would be at without the coronavirus. You're right. There is people. Um, the Houston Rockets NBA team were getting in a lot of trouble for just basically bowing to them, even though their general manager said free Hong Kong and it set up this whole firestorm that I wish we could, there's topics like that that I wish we could still talk about, but right now it's just completely blown out of the water and, and playing second fiddle. I want to transition to fightthefines.com.au, which is how you've made um, us what seems to be more popular in Australia, at least you are way more famous in Australia than I am here, for example, or David Menzies or whomever is here. And what I want to ask you is what was your most memorable case to date? The one that comes to mind for me is probably the homeless guy where there's so yeah. many, there's so many problems when people run into, in big cities, they run into homelessness and nobody wants to, and there's a strong contingent of people that say, don't put them in, in a home, don't put them in prison or anything like that. But in Australia, this homeless guy's living in his car and he's getting fined for that. What's your most memorable fightthefines.com.au case? There's, yeah, it's there's a, there's a bunch of them. They all, you know, even the one we released a couple of days ago, which was that, you know, that woman that was exercising and hold, you know, the the police literally grabbing the the child from her arms. Um, and throwing her in the back of a, a divvy van and like a police car and mm. slamming, like violently slamming her in there, you know, for a $1,000 fine because she was wearing a, a sign that was against the lockdown. But um, there, was a, there was a family, there was a beautiful family that we did a story on that got $10,000 in fines and were fighting their fines at, 
Um, and that farm was because they lived on a border between uh, city and rural Victoria. So at the time, there was like this fake line that you were supposed border that you were supposed to recognize and if you cross from one side to the other it was a five thousand dollar fine and they were two adults and they just went to their closest health food store which crossed that line because they live on the border and they got ten thousand dollars in fine and it was just like this beautiful young family trying to you know survive in a time where uh, one parent wasn't able to work and the other you know where the government stripped them of everything including their most basic fundamental human rights. Um, and I remember just watching them and they were kind of, you know, they were just, they were just grateful that Rebel News was around and able to do something and step in where no other civil liberties group here in Australia is doing anything about it. They're hardly even talking about it. Um, so it was exciting. And, and I, I guess for me, the whole fight the fines project that we've done i'm i'm really happy because i feel like it was almost the perfect time that i joined rebel news because i got that opportunity that like you said here it's it, it became really popular and it 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 empowered people to fight back you know each fine that we took on each fine and we're still doing them each fine that we're, we're fighting for people just teaches others that you can do it and you don't have to worry and just because a police officer issues you with a fine doesn't make it right, doesn't make it legal, doesn't mean uh, you're in the wrong and you're a bad person. Same as uh, I Will Open. That was, you know, that's what we launched here uh, during the lockdown in, in Victoria. Uh, we had the longest and harshest lockdown in the world. For months we were locked down and we had curfews. We weren't allowed to leave our home. We, we, we were allowed out for one hour a day exercise. There were roadblocks. It was, it was intense. Mm -hmm. And at some point we started the I will open campaign where anyone who wish was going to open, who said, no, nah, I've had enough. I was going to open. Um, just let us know and we'll report the story. And it created this wave of industries that were opening. And we, we I had a backlog already of businesses saying, yep, we're going to open on this date. And suddenly the government started opening things up. So I really truly believe that, um, more than even just protests, the way that uh, Rebel News has been uh, taking on these issues, at least here in Australia, has really changed uh, the conversation. And it's moved it's moved people away from just going on the street and protesting, which is great, but we've seen some of the, the scenes, you know, my first day at Rebel News, I got tackled to the ground as a journalist went at one of those protests. We were just reporting. So there was that kind of heavy-handedness at the police where... But when you suddenly had uh, small businesses rising up saying, no, I'm going to open my doors, find me, find me, I don't care, because either I'm going to crash or I'm going to get When you started to have that and, you know, it was a domino's effect as soon as one did it and we reported on it and it kind of got um, a bit of uh, publicity, the next one did it. And then suddenly all these other ones were calling and doing it and the the government lost control. They weren't. What are they going to do? They weren't able to come in and uh, do what uh, they did, what I've seen they, them doing in Canada to the barbecue guy because it, it got out of control. And I can understand why the in Canada um, your the, the government – but possibly we're looking at what was happening in Australia and they go, we better stop this now at the first guy and make it not worth anyone's while to do it because um, you see what happens here. As soon as you lose control, as soon as people realise that what's the worst that can happen, I'm going to lose my business anyways, I might as well go out fighting. Um, that's what kind of happens and the government can't control anything. And same with the fines. When people realise that a fine is just a piece of paper, and you can fight it and there's you know just keep keep at it just do what you believe is right and then uh fight the unjust fines later and that's what we did here so it's it's been great avi when people talk about lockdowns around the world and people i know do it and people online of course do it they point to victoria as hey this was a harsh lockdown and now the numbers are gone 
Did the lockdown work? And if so, at what cost? Let me put it to you this way. If you, um, if you lock everyone into their homes for 24 hours, seven days a week, guess what? Nobody's going to get hit by a car. It works. So why don't we do that? So the question is not whether locking people down stops a virus from spreading. Obviously, if people are locked down, a virus can't spread. Now, I love when they compare Australia to Canada to North America. You know, oh, well, do you want to be like America? You want to be like Trump? No, it's very different. We're an island. And if you control the borders as they did here, um, yes, you can bring the numbers down to the figures that we've got. But I'd argue, is it still worth it? After everything that we now know, is it still worth it? And at what cost is what you say, you know, how many businesses shut down in this period? How many families? And we haven't even started to feel the pain because even until now, the government is propping up businesses and families. When that money runs out, when that all dries up, mate, I don't think people realise what we're about to face here in Australia. It is going to be painful. And for what? For a virus that, yeah, it, it, it's not good. But... It's certainly not what we originally thought it was. You know, my, most of my family got coronavirus overseas. Most of my family. Now, in the first, in the beginning when they told us, uh, you know, uh, I had two family members that had died, they told us at the time, from coronavirus or, we, you know, later we don't know if it's from, with, but they were older. But the rest of my family my age all got coronavirus Two of them felt sick. There was a wedding in my family where my whole family got coronavirus. Everyone at the wedding in Miami. And only two felt sick, let alone anything more than that. So if you think that it's worth shutting down the entire economy for that, well, I think uh, talk to me in a couple of years when Australia starts to really feel the pain of what we went through in the state of Victoria, when it starts to feel the pain, all the job losses, all the business closures, everything that, that came at that cost, then talk to me. But even if you think it's worth it, 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 you can't compare it to North America because, uh, you know, you don't have the ability to control the borders like we do here, and it's interesting. It's all, all the people that are advocating um, this kind of uh, authoritarian response to coronavirus. You know, as Australians, I can't come and visit you. Australia is the only place in the world at the moment that your passport doesn't mean very much. You can't get back into Australia. There are Australians stranded all around the world with your passport. You cannot get back into Australia. In fact, you can't even go between state to state. So as a Victorian, I can't just go to New South Wales, which is, you know, a thousand kilometres down the road drive. I can't drive. I can't drive and return. So if you think it's worth living like that and you consider that um, uh, lockdown working, like I said in the beginning, if you lock everyone in their home for 24 hours a day, seven days a week, why don't we do it like China? Why don't we start boarding, you know, locking people up with, wouldn't uh, slap, you know, nail them into their own homes and we'll never have disease, we'll never have anything. We'll be fine. I think you would but, find uh, people who would be for that here in the Western world. I think people, I think it's gotten so far where the hysteria has gone so wild that I think people would actually support. I mean, they're instituting jail penalties now here. Uh, upwards of one year in prison now is what they're suggesting. Okay, Avi, we are in the restricted area. You are free to, you want to do a shirtless, you want to swear and smoke. I think we can do it now. Um, Jim Jeffries is something that comes up a lot, um, especially when I put on Twitter, what's your question for, first of all, I want to say, um, when I put up your qu questions for Avi on Twitter, you've got a low bar of trolls. And these are people that are creating a, uh, it's pretty obvious when they copy and paste the same messages, but people are creating multiple accounts just to say, ask Avi why he's an asshole. <laughs> the bar for your trolls is I so low. I was born this way. <laughs> uh, but they want to know like what happened with Jim Jeffries and what's happened since. So for the people who don't know, we'll show a bit of the Jim Jeffries video that I watched when I was uh, just a viewer of yours. 
And I liked Jim Jeffries before that. He kind of turned into a rambling drunk, in my opinion, yelling at people on Bill Maher and such. Tell us exactly what happened there, what the story was, and what's happened since. So with Jim Jeffries, listen, I knew the moment I got a call from his producer saying um, he, he wanted to invite me onto his show uh, to talk about... I think immigration, uh, right-wing politics. And I knew immediately because I remember what he did to um, Jordan Peterson mm -hmm. and I knew immediately what it meant. And I gave him two conditions. I said, uh, don't put me on there with actual neo-Nazis. I don't want to be, you know, I don't want you to put me alongside them to make it as if I support their views or they are me and, we, and I am them. They agree. And the second one, which was also a very reasonable request, was that they don't um, they don't cut my answers from one question to another question. Just, you know, if you want to, I don't care if you don't include the whole interview. We sat there for, I don't know, an hour or whatever, but just put the answers to the questions you ask. Isn't it sad that you have to ask that they put the stuff in context? And, and the reason why I did that is because, like I said, I'd gone and looked and I'd seen Jordan, what they did to Jordan Peterson and... I could see the technique, and it was obvious that they were doing that. But um, and they agreed. They said, "Of course, of course, we would never do." I, I remember him saying to me, "Oh no, that's we don't do." And they have they <laughs> the second red flag was the moment they they have a word for it. I, don't, I can't remember it now, but a, a word for the technique of cutting up the answers. And I thought that's so funny because only somebody who who actually operates in that space where they do that kind of stuff um, would would have a, a, a term for it. <laughs> Anyways, um, I they flew me to Singapore for this, uh, you know, accommodation, hotel, uh, uh, flights, accommodation, and you know, it was like a I thought great three day holiday. And they must Why have thought Singapore? I was a moron. What is that? Why Singapore? He's from Australia, right? Yeah, but he's based in the U.S. He's based in the U.S. Um, he lives in the U.S. now. I think he was doing a show in Singapore okay. at the time, and it was what aligned because at the time they wanted me at the when they called me, they were in Australia, but I was in Israel at the time. So I said to him, "I can't do it now. It'll have to be." So it just worked out. Singapore, they were flying me in. I was going to have a few day holiday, and they just thought I was, you know, an idiot. And I just took. Two mobile phones at the time. And I walk in there and it's at some bar and I just, look, these people are so self-absorbed <laughs> that they didn't realize that I'm, I'm walking in there. There's, I don't know, 20 people in there at least doing this production. And I'm sitting there and there was like a couch in front of the chairs that we were sitting for the interview. And I'm propping up the phones and like sitting them up properly to film my own version of what happens because, and I went in there prepared in my head. I go, I, I started the film from the moment I walked in and I said, because if they catch me doing it and they tell me I can't do it, I'll say why we had an agreement and I just want to make sure I'm covered. And if they kick me out, great, there we go. I'm going to show the world what they tried to do and how I, how I fought back. Uh, but they didn't even notice. They didn't realize. <laughs> You know, it, so, and, and the, thi the mm -hmm. thing is they waited months. The, nothing came out. It was actually the Jewish holiday of Purim where I was at an event um, sitting at a table with my rabbi and some Jewish, some, you know, community member walks in and Purim, for those of you who don't know, is one where you have a few drinks and it's a, it's a fun Jewish holiday. It's one of the fun ones where you, <laughs> where you get to drink a lot, okay, okay. as an Aussie that is what defines fun. Okay. It's, it, you've got to drink that much. You don't know the difference between good and evil. It's a lot. It's, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, so, between, so what was between, he trying to get you to say? What were they trying to position to, to quote, to humiliate you with? Well. The, the, or expose? It, it, when, yeah, they were just trying to sh make it out that, you know, the right, uh, some, and that I specifically as somebody who's a prominent right-wing online figure is just a neo-Nazi uh. loving Trump supporting 
hate-filled whatever. And it, it was just funny that, you know, I left there and months later on that room when some rabbi comes in and uh, some community member goes, oh, did you see your Jim Jeffries? Oh, my God, he made you look bad. And I'm sitting there going, oh. and I just, I turned to the guy, I go, wait 24 hours. <laughs> just wait 24 hours. Because I knew I had the, the, the things there. And I went back and I watched it and it was, it was probably, it was probably, I guess, worse than I thought because I kind of started to believe them that they weren't going to, I, I guess they convinced me and I, you know, I had my insurance policy, but it was worse because it was, it was right after Christchurch, the Christchurch massacre mm-hmm. here in New Zealand. And they waited for that to to, off the back of that to run this segment that they filmed months ago to connect me to it, to connect me to the to, to the terrorist, to the scumbag who did that awful crime. And I just sat there going, oh, you know, it was, and as soon as I put it out, you know, the rest is history that it was, you know, even till today I see he's blocked me on, and Comedy Central blocked me from, a lot of their things, but um, even till today, I still see every time Jim Jeffries does it has anything. I always see in the comments there, um, and because t- I'm always tagged in a lot of them, where people are still having goes at him about that, and that's what is it? It's a couple of years ago now already. Well, um, to do something that malicious, and then like like I mentioned earlier, the last thing I remember seeing of Jim Jeffries is him on Bill Maher, just clearly drunk, just yelling at, and he, he, he's just flipping off people who disagree with him. And like, I get that you're a comedian, but you're on a political show, at least have some semblance of an opinion to share. And it's just F you if you don't believe, uh, agree with me. Now, so there's been no contact with him or his team since then? So we did file a lawsuit at some point. It was because the, the, the clock, there was a, I can't remember how long we had, we, according to uh, US law. So we, we filed something in, I think it was LA. But um, the problem was the moment we did that, Viacom, which is the company that I owns it on, came down with uh, a a whole team of lawyers and scared the hell out of uh, my little lawyer that was going to represent me at the time and he was scared for his own license so we just ended up dropping it because there was just no no real way, no viable way to take him on not because I was uh, r- wrong uh, you know it was quite obvious anybody watched his segment watched then the full video or or me pointing out that video where I point out how they, you know, maliciously edited those things. It was obvious what they did. They know what they did. The video is still up, but it is what it is. And, I, and you know, I don't regret it. People said, oh, people s- afterwards said, oh, well, didn't you know that was going to happen? Why would you even do the interview? Actually, if I could go back in time, I would do it all again <laughs> because that was such an important um, moment where people realize that this is not just a conspiracy that the right wing make up. It actually freaking happens. And it happens so brazenly and so disgracefully. The only thing I regret really is not recording more of the interactions beforehand. Me with the uh, producers and all that. You know, if it was me today, that was me a couple of years ago. And, you know, I was working for TR News. I didn't have the full. Uh, support that we have at Rebel and the full team behind me and people that can help. You know, I didn't have all that. It was literally me and whatever I did and whatever I thought of. Tommy Robinson at the time was the one who told me to go and film it. It was his idea when I told him, although I already had it because I thought it's – um because uh, he had inspired me. I'd seen uh, – because I was working with Tommy – and he'd just done a bunch of those kinds of scenarios. So as soon as they said it, I thought it's it's a great opportunity. But Tommy was the first. He goes, make sure to record it. But no one at the time and not, my own experience didn't teach me to record every conversation that I had with a producer because that would be lovely. You know, I would love to be able to show the world that conversation with the producer where I made those two, those two conditions. 
Yeah, Tommy. Um, and where he just mm-hmm. straight up lied. But so where we are today with it, um, I did follow him. So I, I went then to LA to confront him. Um, you know, I'm not someone that gives up easily. That was the I, one outside of his performance, right? And they, oh yeah, they faked the entrance or the exit they were coming out of. Oh, oh that was that was that so, yeah. So first we went to we went to yeah we went to America to to confront him and uh, he called the FBI, oh. filed a report. Um, and so I was arrested and deported in in LA. <laughs> um, and and then so then I figured all right I need to find him at a show where I can't get deported and I'm also an Israeli citizen so I went to Israel, and okay, right, right. Uh, yeah they did a whole. Uh, they did a whole uh, decoy when he came. Like, it was so <laughs> funny. And you know what? It's kind of a game. And at some point in my life, we will talk again. And uh, everyone knows me. I am not in no way violent and never threatening violence. I just want to see him face to face. And for him... To acknowledge, not that he was wrong, that I won. That's all I want. I want him to acknowledge I won that little, that little cheap shot he took. Because now it's already, the world is sick. And it's, you know, people, I think a lot of people learned a lesson. I think a lot of people, I, I've gotten a lot of messages, uh, messages over the years of people that are inspired by what I did that day, as in when they go to interviews now, they record it for themselves. I often see people... Um, in the conservative movement who are saying, oh, I've been invited to an interview. I don't know if I should do it. And always the comments at the bottom say, do another your mini, do another <laughs> your mini. So I'm, I'm really happy that it's, uh, it, that I've kind of passed that on, which again, I got, like I said before, I got it, I got it from Tommy Robinson from the fact that, uh, you know, people, when, when Trump says the fake news, you know, put words into your mouth or cut things up, maliciously you know if you're a trump supporter or if you're whoever it is if you're a tommy robinson supporter then you'll just believe him um but if you don't like trump then it's easy to dismiss what he's saying or whoever it is it's easy to say ah he's just saying that because they made him look bad um but you can't with my jim jeffries one and i saw it also people from across the aisle i've seen people who are leftists who don't like me who said Jim Jeffries is an a-hole for, for, for what happened that day, um, which is important because I think uh, this is not a right or left-wing thing. I think um, I think everyone should have the right to freedom of speech, but I also think that um, any big uh, uh, media company who, who engages in that kind of practice uh, to, one, just make their narrative, to suit their narrative, or two, to try demonize somebody with an opposing view, which is exactly what they tried to do with me. And it wasn't, I don't think it was targeted only at me. It was to demonize all right-wing people. Look, here's Avi Yamini who's pretty, who's not, you know, they, who, they'll call it fringe, but he's not the, uh, you know, skinhead, neo-Nazi. They're everywhere. <laughs> the, they're, they're in sheep's clothing everywhere. And the first, um, Ones that just come off the top of my head, if people want to look them up, there's Tommy Robinson with Al Jazeera, there's Tommy Robinson with BBC, there's Alex Jones with Megyn Kelly. So the examples are out there, and you should record your own side of the interview every time. Always, always, everything, any, uh, you know, the lesson is record everything, better to have it than not to have it. Record everything, every engagement. When When you're talking to people that... Um, you disagree with, and I, I encourage talking to people that, that you disagree with. I encourage doing mainstream media interviews. I don't think we should, I, I don't think you need to watch them. You, I'm not telling, you know, I, I, I watch them because I want to hear what the lies are spinning and I want to be able to confront it. But I think um, if I get in, invited to an interview, I'll do it. But then I will uh, ensure that I have that insurance policy that, if they take me out of context or um, in any way manipulate what I'm saying, I'm going to be able to show the world and not like that. That episode of Jim Jeffries, as big and powerful as Comedy Central is, 
My version got a lot more hits. <laughs> so. so that was from Jimmy Walks 2. That was a long answer to that one question. Um, we got a probably Thank you, Jimmy. A Pardon? I was thanking Jimmy for the question. Uh, okay. Um, about five minutes. Let's try to speed through these. Joanne Doe says, how much uh, do you expect vaccine passports in Australia? I reckon, um, so it's interesting because they're going to, they, you know, they make a point here to say that they can't mandate vaccines. They can't make, they can't enforce, force vaccines onto a population because of um, our legislation. But in reality, uh, they can. We have here no jab, no play, no jab, uh, no pay, which is to parents who don't vaccinate their children, where the kids essentially you have to homeschool them and you don't get access to uh, welfare and things like that. Um, you know what? I think uh, coronavirus has actually uh, made has created anti-vaxxers really you know typically when we thought of anti-vaxxers we thought of crazy fringe uh dwellers that were like weird you know i've always been vaccinated i've always vaccinated my kids it's you know not so something i've ever thought twice about but no i do not want to vaccinate my kids with this covid vaccine because i just I, i'm suspicious i don't know it hasn't been tried to test i don't it's not necessarily that i think that they're inserting a chip to control our minds, just I just don't know how safe this is, and I just don't think putting it into my child's body, who even if they get coronavirus, poses little to no risk for them. Why would I inject them with that? Um, having said that, yes, I do believe that they're going to make <laughs> okay. mandatory to have a vaccine to be able to fly. And G general, I have to. We have to stop the questions at some point. <laughs> Talk too much. At G Generals Five says, "Do you have a deplatforming plan in case you were?" He said, "Inevitably deplatformed." I've been deplatformed so many times. I've lost five pages on Facebook, uh, collectively over a million followers. And for Australia, if you think about Australia, of a population of under thirty million, um, it was probably the biggest uh, conservative um, personality on on that platform. And I survived it. And what I say to people is, you know, Parler's just gone down. Uh, Parler, I was loving it. I had, I think I was getting close to 500,000 followers on Parler. you got to roll with the punches at the end of the day. I'm actually, I'm more hopeful now than I have ever been because until now, it has always been the, you know, the fringes that have been um, deplatformed and then the rest of the conservative movement have kind of just ignored it because they're like, well, they're not me. And I'm not a Tommy Robinson. I'm not a Milo. I'm not a, a Laura Luma. I'm not an Alex Jones. Well, those days are over. And now all conservatives feel like, and the truth is they are at risk of censorship, of losing their platform or, or not even platforms. You know, a lot of now every conservative can almost uh, say that without a doubt that one of their posts have been removed from social media. So they feel the pressure of censorship. So I think now, maybe in the short term, it's going to be a bit of pain, but in the long term, remember, uh, you know, what is it? 75 million people voted for Trump. That's just in America. All of Trump's supporters around the world, we're talking about millions, hundreds of millions. They need a place. They're not going anywhere. They need a, a place to be able to, um, talk freely on the internet and the internet's more and more is shutting them down that place will come it just you know you got to give it time and i i believe that my plan today is finally i feel like the problem is not just mine it's ours and collectively we've got people as powerful as trump and, and who will fight who have the means the ability to fight whether it's within government and also uh, just financially there are there are real conservative bodies that will uh, ensure that there will be platforms for conservatives and we just need to make sure to support them and be there when they're ready and that's where i'll be and hope to see you all there try to keep it short try hard <laughs> um, presley seven 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 says australian or canadian p pm who is worse who? 
The Australian or the Canadian Prime Minister? Oh, who's worse than this? Uh, the, the Canadian. You guys win. Um, as much as I... It's probably not a fair comparison. Trudeau's far worse. Um, <laughs> I think I think uh, ScoMo's... He's he's a bit weak, a bit gutless, but he's still got some conservative values. Trudeau, I don't know. I reckon I I reckon a fairer comparison would be Trudeau and Xi Jinping. This is where we play the Simpsons clip of the Australian Prime Minister sitting in his pool eating a hot dog. <laughs> Everything I know about Australia is from the Simpsons. Sorry to tell you. So what? No more than most. <laughs> Last question is from Instagram. What hair products does Avi use? That didn't go anywhere. Hold on, I'll show you. There was one question on uh, Twitter that said he didn't want to pin us against each other by saying who's got better hair. So I made sure to style my hair. Oh, you should get sponsored now. Rockstar hair. That's so, like, like Rockstar. They couldn't come up with a better name than that. Come on. Now. I'll be honest with you. Um, the I. As my hair has grown through the lockdown and I refuse to cut it, um, I've had to change. So it's been this brand, but different, different style stuff every time because it, as as your hair grows, your hair reacts differently to it. I can't believe I'm talking about <laughs> yeah, hair Yeah, we're not products. turning this into a hair product segment, Avi, all right? We'll Rock clip star, this for like Instagram or something money. and we'll give you your hair plug and hopefully that this brand will spawn to you. That's all the time we have. Or condemn us. <laughs> That's all the time we've had, Avi. You've taken up six, I think, six hours now we've been talking. Uh, thank you, for, uh, in all seriousness, thank you for being the first guest on my Paywall show. I've been watching you uh, for years now, before I worked here, before you worked here, before you worked for Tommy Robinson. I was always a fan of yours. I'm happy to know you, and thank you, and I'll let you have the last word. Thank you, brother. Good luck. I'm sure this uh, paywall show will smash it. Guys, make sure to spread it out. All right. Thanks a lot, Evie. Have a good night. Thank you for watching, Andrew Says. If you want to see the full uncut version, go to rebelnewsplus.com and sign up today so you can see the entire episode where we talk about topics we can't show you on YouTube. They'll ban us.